what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. August the 9th, 2019, episode number 91. We are nine episodes away from the one hundo. Almost a triple digits. I think of 91. My uh, heart goes out to Andy Trester. Used to be national number 91. He passed away from a crash there at the Rapid City Half Mile back in 1997. I remember that like it was yesterday, man. It's it's hard how you remember those things, but you don't ever want to forget those kind of riders. But I'm with you. It's it's cool how like what these past few episodes you've always you've had something for every number that we're coming across here. That's kind of nuts. And I used to test the numbers while I was driving down the road to the races. My dad would shoot out a number and I'd say who that national number was and and who comes to mind when, you know, that's just a numbers thing. And maybe that's why I'm so good at remembering the numbers when I'm up there announcing because it just just sticks in my head for some reason. Well, you'll be the first to say you are a numbers guy. Oh, I am. I love numbers. I love stats. I like stories. You're a numbers guy. I like stories. Well, tell us the story about the buffalo chip. I don't know what you're talking about. I was too busy watching uh, the Lima race. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say still, I'm, I'm not going to say watching Lima? <laughs> No. No, I didn't have to watch Lima this weekend because there was a ton of flat track racing. They're going to be racing tonight at the Lodi Cycle Bowl. So, I mean, it's just nonstop for these guys and gals, including the whole teams, the AFT staff, and everybody. So it's just a busy, busy season right now. Yeah, I mean, I do remember this time of year being kind of intense uh you know just those two back to back that close but having sacramento in there along you know on the back end of this it's going to be a challenge for sure but the, i mean if anybody can pull it off the aft crew and production team can and uh could have some badass mile racing finally it's been a while we've only had one mile this season so far we're already half past the halfway point we've only had one mile that was the red mile and that seems like last year it does it seems like it seems like a whole season ago um but before we get into talking about the miles let's quickly go through the races from south dakota we had two awesome events you know we always look forward to these every year and they did not disappoint in 2019 and that's right i called the winner of the singles class mr ryan sipes and he didn't have to wheelie over the jump but he was still faster than everybody else out there and he just got that place figured out he had a lot of bad luck earlier this season in Arizona and the Springfield TT, so he finally got his first win of the 2019 season. Uh, my hat's off also to Jeff Ward. You know, he's 57 years old, something like that, and he's out there. He put on the front row of the main event, just had some bad luck, got a bad start. So uh, anything else from the singles class stick out for you? The event at Buffalo Chip is always a, an interesting one with that right-hander right out of the gate. Um, it was cool to see some of the big names come in there this, this year. I mean, Ricky Carmichael was there watching some flat track and, like, does he even like he never ever rode flat track right or did he not to, not that i'm aware of i don't i don't, I don't think he's ever tried it yeah. so uh you know i'd love to see him give it out you know come out and come out of retirement give it a shot just like jeff ward did i mean why not yeah no it's a hell of a stage i didn't see a ton of changes to the track was there was did they adjust any make any adjustments at all to the track after the jump it seemed like the, the the straight after the jump was about the same but then the left-hander it was more i mean they went way behind the bar further than they did before and then after they went around the bar it seemed like they kind of had a little dog leg into a really tight last corner so it was different i wish from up above you could definitely see a difference from where i was at it was hard to tell but i know the riders could tell for sure i, I gotta give you props because i don't know how the hell you call that race dude i've been there i've seen that environment 
you're standing on that little podium and there's a point where you can't even see the race and I mean you would never know that listening at home listening to how you call a race it's it's pretty badass what you're able to do yeah me and Brad they take us up there on this little itty bitty side podium stage yep. I can't remember what they call it we're right behind a motorcycle so the motorcycle's blocking kind of our view so I stood up the whole time they go past me and turn right I lose them for a little bit I can duck down underneath some banners and maybe see their helmets <laughs> And they circle back around and head towards the jump. When they get about to the jump, that's when I can see them again. But I lose them when they go behind the bar. So that's, that's insane. The, the hard part was past turn one. And then after the jump, I lose them for a little bit. So, you know what? Uh, just got to make it happen like I'm still watching the whole race. You never know. Be... Exactly. You, you never know if you're at home watching. I'm telling you, that's how good you are. Um, you want to get into talking some twins in the Buffalo Chip? Yeah, twins. My pick was Briar. He just had some bad luck, and he admitted it afterwards. He's just somehow he's drawn to the ground there, but he actually got into the back tire. PJ Jacobson, who broke differently than Briar expected, he Briar went up and over the handlebars, so he got his weight the back. They actually black flagged him because they thought he might have been a little shaken up. Huh. But the reason it took him so long to get up is because all the rest of the riders had to come around, and he just didn't want to get ran over by any of those guys. So he stayed down as long as he could. When it was safe, that's when he got up and got off the track, and then he got going. So uh, I thought it was going to be perfect, you know, Sipes and Briar. Yeah. But it just wasn't meant to be in that if, main event. If that didn't happen, you would have gone two for two for sure because Briar was definitely looking strong. Um, I'll tell you who else I was impressed by, P.J. Jacobson, uh, with that strong finish, like running up front at the Buffalo Chip. I, I, Again, I don't know a ton about his racing history. I know he used to race flat track, but, you know, even I know he's been away for a while, and to be, come back in and, and be that, that strong – uh, is pretty impressive, right? Especially on a tight course like that. I mean, yes, the right-handers fits his style at being a road racer. They like to use the front brake, but I didn't know PJ was a, a guy that liked to jump. He's only got a few races on that Indian. He hasn't raced every round with us, and to come out there with a sixth-place finish, I was impressed with him as, also, as, as well. But I think the thing we got to talk about is Jake Johnson. You know, the track changed throughout the day, and... The guys that shined in the main event weren't necessarily the guys that were going fast earlier in the day. Yeah, that main event was completely a different story. I mean, Jake Johnson got an awesome start, right? Got right out of there, got the whole shot on that right-hander, and kind of pretty much owned the entire race, I would say, right? Like, he um, he just ran his race, his own race, in front of everybody, and there were some people mixing it up behind him. Um, but, I mean, he pretty much had that one in the bag until, you know, the, it's insane what happened there coming to that checkers. I mean, it, has there been an event in Buffalo Chip with this Twin Series that there hasn't been an amazing finish? No, not yet. And the fans just eat it up there all the way around the place. I heard there was even more fans there were last year. Last yeah. year they said there was 10,000 people there. There's wow. more this year. It's hard to count everybody because they're, they're, they're on tops of buildings. They're on, they're on the bar. You know, yeah. they're all over. But it was just hard to see. And man, you know, my heart goes out, to, you know, a tough break for Jake Johnson. He led all but about the last 15 feet. I said five feet on the microphone, but realistically about the last 15 feet, he came off that last corner, the bike, just there's a little puff of smoke and he pulls in the clutch and he coasts across the line and his teammate, J.D. Beach, who won the Arizona Super TT, wins the Buffalo Chip TT. Now he has two career wins, both the TTs. I'll tell you who's super stoked about it besides J.D., Tim Estenson. I know that dude's happy. I mean, he's got his, both of his Yamahas, one and two, on the podium at Buffalo Chip. That's badass. He actually had all four of his twins in the main events, and he had both of his singles in the main events. So all six of the Estenson Yamahas made the mains at the Buffalo Chip. So, yeah, Tim's got to be super stoked. And then we only had one day off, and we were right back at it at the Rapid City Half Mile. And we mentioned last week how fast that place was. It was blistering hot. I will say blistering hot. I live in Oklahoma. It's hotter here. But up there for Rapid City, South Dakota, it was in the 90s earlier in the day. 
kind of dried out the track a little bit, so it wasn't quite, I don't think, as fast as it was the year before. They still had speed, though, man, and they still whip it around that little half mile. It was, I I would say, you know, I always talk about how I keep watching that Lima race. It's probably the best racing of the year for me. I would say it's on par or better than that Lima race. I, I would struggle to say it's better because you know how much I love that Lima race. Well, I do, but I think this singles class for sure was better for sure. At I'll Rapid give you City. that. I'll give but, you that. But, but let's talk about production twins first. I think, you know, like we talked about, the, the track went through some changes. J.R. Addison was fast qualifier. I was actually getting text messages from his wife, Stevie. She was bummed that she wasn't there because she could feel it that he was going to win that day. And he just uh, didn't get the start he needed in the main event. And again, in the main event, Ryan Barnes found something and he was gone. I mean, nobody could touch him. Yeah, nobody even came close except for after he crossed the finish line and he almost got run over by those guys racing for second and third. Man, Ugh. he was he was celebrating maybe a little too soon, but yeah. that was his first win. But man, those guys caught him in a hurry going into turn number one. It's but, insane. Man, it was crazy right behind him. It was cool and impressive to see what those boys did on the uh, that those Black Hills Harley Davidsons too. Uh, I think it was Gautier's first time hopping on one at all, so it was, it was cool to see him. Well, he even like what. When one is semi, right? Or one is heat? Yeah. Gautier won his semi. Rispoli won his semi. So both the Black Hills riders, and there's a lot of people from Harley-Davidson Motor Company were there, of course, because it's the Sturgis Rally. They end up third and fourth in the main event. So a good, strong showing for them. Awesome, dude. Yeah. It's cool to see what that Productions Twins class is, is evolving to be, right? It's kind of taking on a personality of its own. It's a good stepping stone. If, you, if you're not ready to move up to the AFT Twins class, or if you don't have the equipment to move up there, whatever it may be, it gives these guys another class to race in to earn some money and more importantly i think get some seat time on these racetracks because we don't go to a lot of these racetracks as amateurs so when you get there as a pro it's your first time there you're gonna have the jitters because you're racing against the fastest guys in the world so i like the production twins class a lot well let's talk about some singles man like you said it was the best racing in the singles class hands down all year shana texture chad Coe's going at it in the main event and man like it's insane how these two lap after lap back and forth and i picked morgan mishler i talked to him earlier in the day i said listen bud get a start and you can go out there and win what in past morgan gets bad starts but he finds a different way around what i found out too and what he probably found out it's hard to lead races chris because yeah. you don't know how hard to charge into the corners and and that is where Shayna and chad had somebody to go after so after they got past mishler then they went after each other back and forth and that that's suzuki uh Engelhart, the late Ron Hamp did an excellent job on that motor, and, and Tom Englehart did a good job. Uh, that thing was flying, and what a race between Chad Coast and Shane Texter. And how about the rookie Dallas Daniels, top five? He's now the rookie of the year leader in the the AFT singles class. And then, uh, you know, another tough break goes out to Dalton Gautier. He was running up there at the front with these guys and had a mechanical coming off turn number four. He puts his hand up in the air, gets out of harm's way, finishes last place, which definitely changed up the point standings. All right. AFT Twins, Briar Bauman, dominant. Let's talk a little bit about your pick for the Twins. You uh, you not only picked the right one, I mean, this guy didn't just win the race. He dominated. He looked really good. Even after the red flag, he was, he was solid. He was smooth. And like we mentioned a second ago, it's hard to lead. He had Carver coming. Carver was there. Robinson was there before the red flag. Uh, got a bad start on that red flag. You know, didn't get going as good as some of the other guys did. But, uh, man, I think... I think Breyer's just on it this season. He's focused. He, I was on the airplane with him from Dallas up to Rapid City, and I was actually on the airplane with him from Rapid City back to Dallas. We had some good conversations, and the kid's on it right now, and, and 
he's feeling it. It's a great storyline for the season, and it's awesome to see uh, somebody like Briar getting that opportunity and and coming through week in and week out. And even the weeks where he's where he doesn't have the luck, uh, he always seems to bounce back and come back. Not just you know with a strong finish, but with wins. So um, that's what makes champions. And he's definitely on course to uh, to be a champion by the end of this season. One thing I would definitely want to talk about with this race is Jared Meese going down, man. That was, I was holding my breath the entire time. You never want to see that happen at all. It's rare that you see somebody like Meese going down in that fashion too. And obviously it's great to see them all walk away on their own. I guess the question that I have for for you in, in looking at something like this, obviously it impacts all three differently, right? Like Meese is, is that was probably one of his last opportunities to uh, to get some points and, and close that gap for the championship. Um, not saying he's out of it, but it makes it a lot harder, right? So it's tough for him. Um, Fisher and Pearson are private privateer efforts. Pearson was hurt a little bit and, you know, his bike's damaged pretty bad. And Fisher, you know, he hit that air fence and went down, lost points, probably damaged a little bit of his bike too. Which of those three riders do you think is impacted the most by this wreck um, in this event? Well, first off, Meese went down because he had a flat tire. The rear tire went down. Meese just doesn't normally crash like that in front of everybody. So it wasn't Meese's fault. He had a flat tire, went down. What I, li- I liked what he did while he was sliding backwards. Your instincts take over. He's looking backwards. Who's going to hit him? What's he going to do? But as you're sliding, you can't do a whole lot. My hat's off to Davis Fisher. Instead of hitting Meese, he went and hit the air fence. He crashed on purpose, Carter, and that's... That's hard to do as a rider. I've done it before. You know, I've thrown it into the ground while in second place to try not to hit the leader. Um, it's hard to do, but sometimes you got to do that. And then Pearson, who used the provisional just to get in the main event, he came through the wreckage and went between Meese and the air fence, and there was Fisher's bike, and he hit it, went up and over the handlebars, and what hurt so much is the bike went over and over and over. That thing had to be two feet shorter after it got done flipping so that bike is trash uh also talked to rex fisher davis's dad they i think they think that the frames twisted up on that one meese maybe tore up a radiator nothing too severe other than uh, you know flat tire obviously but you throw that tire away and you go get another one but so back to your question who who's that hurt the most i would say the team owners davis's team owner rob pearson's team owner because that those indians aren't cheap and if they bent the frame you got to try to get another frame for them. So, and they both, I think both those two teams only have two Indians. So they're going to go all the way out to Sacramento and try to re- recover from what, what happened. I did talk to Pearson afterwards. He was complaining his upper chest was beat up and, and hurting. So he did go in and get checked out. He's okay. He's going to try to give it a whirl this weekend at Sacramento, um, which I think that just proves how tough Robbie Pearson is. Jeez. We've had him on the podcast yeah. and, and, you know, to crash that hard, I'm sure he's watched it now by now, and a lot of people have seen it. And just for him to get back on the motorcycle is incredible. Um, my hat's off to him. But I, you know, who it hurts, your, your original question, who it hurts the most, it's got to be the team owners. Um, it does hurt Mises' points lead, but he's won a championship before. F- Fisher, a young up-and-comer. Pearson on a, you know, a true privateer. Rick Canode runs the team. I think it hurts both their pocketbooks and, you know, I just hope they can recover. No, it's an absolute. I mean, that's a, that's a fair point and, and something to consider when you sign on as a team owner, I'm sure. But, you know, I think that they do have one more bike. They're going to be out in Sacramento. I can't believe that they're going to be racing. And that's what always amazes me is how, they, how they're how they able to bounce back and bounce back so quickly 
to go compete again at this level. It's just hats off to, to these guys, and it shows how strong and, and badass they are as, as, uh, as athletes. Uh, another thing uh, from this race, Carver got a second place, so he's still running up there and running consistently up front. I was really hoping that was my pick to win. I don't think I picked one right this week. I mean... <laughs> Um, but that's, that's fine. Okay. That, that, that's if you, I get you might pick with you. You pick with your heart. I pick with statistics, and <laughs> I've been at this for a long time. Another podium. Another podium for Bronson Bauman. Got up there with his brother Carver. Up there with him too. So you know, Bronson, third place finish. He's getting stronger. I'll tell you what. His parents are gonna have a lot of photos on the wall of uh, of the two of them on uh, on podiums this year, which is kind of cool. Um, and what a hell of a story to tell. You know, just that family in general. And Bronson's year has been pretty impressive for sure. Um, you Absolutely. Wanna, you want to move on to some Sacramento talk? Yeah, so I'm already in California. Tonight, the Lodi Cycle Bowl, and it's going to be on fanschoice.tv. It's such a neat, fast, short track. It grooves up. It's very it's very fast, man. I love that place. I've been doing this about my sixth or seventh year to announce the night before the national. And uh, since we rained out the Sacramento Mile, Lodi went ahead and canceled just because all the riders and all the fans huh. want to see the big boys there. So they're going to race tonight. And if you can't make it up to California, it's on fanschoice.tv. Now, is that a whole production or do they just set up like one camera and follow the leader? Pretty much one camera. He does. Okay. I don't know who's coming, but he pretty much does a good job. I hold the microphone. Sometimes I have two microphones, one for the track, one for fans choice. It's a little bit different. Oh, wait, so you um, announced you too? more. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I announced the Lodi, yeah. I announced the Lodi short track. It's my seventh year, and they give me a microphone for fans' choice. The tough part is there's no you can't turn it off. There's no <laughs> mute button, and I try to help out because it's you know it's a, the Lodi Motorcycle Club's been doing it for a long time. But I'm down there on the track, you know, for the podiums. I stay down there for the big main events, and uh, so I, my sight isn't as good as when I'm up in the tower. But man, it's so much fun. It's like a it's like a backyard short track, so to speak. I mean, it gives you it's that atmosphere, you know. I love it, and I always love the the uh, watching the live streams where there is no mute button because that's when you usually pick up some interesting, fun stuff. So I'm sure it'll be fun, man, and I'm sure you'll have fun with it just like you always do. And I I, I kind of wish that I could make it out and see Lodi at some point. I didn't see it when I was out there. I man, I tried talking to you a few races the you night did. before, and Lodi is definitely one of them. You got to attend. You got to check it out. It's on the list for sure. All right, so moving on from Lodi, the next night we're gonna have the Sacramento Mile, one of the crown jewels of uh, flat track racing is Sacramento Mile, right there up there with a uh, Springfield Mile and the historic uh, aspect of the sport. But haven't been, we talked about it early, haven't been in a mile in a while, um, haven't been at a mile a lot this year due to the rainouts. Uh, so we're still there's still kind of a lot of unknowns with all three series kind of. You know, you're going to have your front runners up there for the miles, your, your people who are always running strong. But, you know, there's new people on new equipment that haven't been on a mile a lot. There's things that they've probably learned since Lexington. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend in Sacramento. So production twins, we've only had them on one mile this year. Corey Texter was the winner. Kobe Carlisle was second. Ben Lau was third. But I am also curious to see how Rispoli and Gautier do on the Black Hills Harley. And then you got Varnes coming off the win at, at Black Hills. You got Chad Coase. So both Coase and Varnes both have some momentum coming into this race. So the production twins class, it might start tightening up just like the singles class. Yeah, it's going to be another good uh, a good race for that championship. It's cool to see those storylines kind of developing throughout the season. And, you know, we're just past halfway. Who do you see coming away with this win on the uh, production twins? I'm going to have to go back with Corey Texter. I think the G&G team has what it takes. 
I'm gonna go with Corey Texter. Who I'm, you got, Carter? I'm gonna go ahead and say it's it's gonna be Carlisle this weekend. I think he knows Sacramento, and I think he's comfortable with Sacramento. And while he may not be, you know, thrilled with the season he's having so far, I do think that he's confident at that track and uh, will run really well and will be atop the box at the end of the day. All right, moving on to singles. Last year, uh, the podium was Carlisle, Price, and Bromley in 2018. This year, two of those riders are no longer even in the series. So Bromley's the only one still competing in the series. You know he's going to be running up front, along with Shayna, Stallings, Wells, and Janish. They're always strong. They're always up there. Is there anybody else you look uh, to be running up front for this one? Absolutely. Mikey Rush, who won the Red Mile, he struggled a little bit there at Rapid City. They've had that bike actually on at the wind tunnel. I don't remember ever hearing a flat track motorcycle going to a wind tunnel. Al Lamb, Dallas Honda has done that. Actually, Al Lamb's going to be at the Salt Flats with his speed racer, you know, trying to set a land speed record this Saturday. So he won't be at the track, but Mikey Rush will be at Sacramento. And like I said, they went to this, the wind tunnel, something I don't think very many people ever do. Gautier's going to be strong there, too. He's going to recover from what happened at Rapid City. He wasn't there before, so you got to add those two in there. One of the most competitive classes in the series, and, you know, week in and week out, there, there's always tight racing. So who's your pick for the singles? i go with Mikey Rush. You're going with Rush, huh? Yes, sir. Who you got? Oh, man. I'm going to go with Kevin Stallings. He needs a victory. He's working his way back towards the front. He's just having some bad luck, but that's a good pick. Okay, let's move on to the twins. Last year, Jared Meese edging out Cool Beth by a fraction of a second right at the line. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be hungry for the win again this year after what happened earlier this week in Rapid City. So also who was behind Meese and Cool Beth last year was Brian Smith. He kept those two guys in his sights. He is the guy that's dominated this race for many years. So Smith will be up there for sure. Uh, and don't forget Briar Bauman, who's got his eyes on the prize right now. He's been run up front week in and week out. Mr. Consistency, he's looking for a mild victory for sure. Jeffrey Carver's known to whip it around some miles every once in a while, too. He, I mean, I, I, you know, he's always, I, I think he's more fun to watch on the shorter tracks, but he, he he's no stranger to a mile. And don't count out Brandon Robinson. Yep. Uh, he's on an Indian now. He's on the equal bike as the other guys we've just been talking about on the Indian motorcycles. Robinson, who won the Atlanta short track, he goes good on miles, too, so he could get up there and mix it up. And we talked about Price in the singles. You know, he did well here on a single. Uh, he hasn't made the last two main events, but you know he's a strong mile racer, and he's definitely going to be looking to make a make a point here in uh, in Sacramento. He may be a dark horse this weekend. Absolutely, and, and what he's doing in his rookie season, he's made all but the last two main events. That's incredible. Uh, I don't think if you would have asked anybody at the start of the season how many main events Brandon Price was going to make, I maybe would have said five. Well, he did that. He's done that more than that in the first few races. He's made yeah. every main event but the last two, and that's just because of bad luck. Yeah. No, he's he's definitely he's definitely coming on strong his rookie season, and I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, him running up front and challenging some of these guys uh, for a podium spot in Sacramento because he, he, he could do it. All right, so we talked about it. Who's your pick for the Twins? Man, this one's a tough one. If, if I was betting like you with my heart, I'd have to say Brian Smith because Smith, is he's, he hasn't won yet this season, but he's the mile master, so he's got to be strong. But they've been struggling with this next generation Crosley-Howerton or Howerton-Crosley creation, whatever you want to call it. So I, he's going to be up there. I just don't know if he's got what it takes to win. Um, it's hard to bet against Meese because he won there last year, but I'm going Briar again. Briar's going to go back-to-back -back wins. 
Well, you know, I gotta pick. I gotta pick Smitty. I gotta pick Smith. I mean, I think, uh, you know, like you're saying, I'm, I'm betting with my heart. But I, no matter what he's on, no matter how competitive he is leading into these mile races, he's always a factor and always one of two people that I would pick to win, regardless of what mile we're racing or what bike he's on or what mental state he's in, because he's just a badass. There's very few people with the consistency at these tracks as that he has. And I would love to see him win. So Brian Smith, my pick. All right. That brings us to my flat track fact. Ooh. I was looking at the stats for the Sacramento mile. Yeah. Brian Smith and Jared Meese are the only two active riders who have won the Sacramento mile in the premier class. Brian Smith won from 2011 up to 2017. Listen to this on a Harley Davidson on a Kawasaki and on an Indian. So he's won on three different brands of motorcycles. So, Whoever says it's because of the motorcycle, it's because of the rider, right? There's proof, and proof is in the pudding, is what they say. I do like that flat track fact. It actually makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about with my pick for the twins. I love it. And I knew that Smith was pretty good on these miles, and especially at Sacramento, but is that usually the case? Has that always been the case in Sacramento, that like one rider wins that consistently there? What was it, like seven years in a row, you said? Seven years in a row, Brian Smith has won there. But if you look back before Brian Smith started winning, it was the Chris Carr, Scotty Parker show. If it wasn't one, it was the other. Back and forth, back and forth, going all the way back to 87. Actually, Scotty Parker started winning way before then, but in 85, Parker won a couple years. Bubba Schobert slid one or two in there. But from there on up till Brian Smith, it was Chris Carr, and Scott Parker with almost every win, with the exclusion of two, with Bubba Schobert in 86 and 88. But That's two riders insane. dominated every race. That's insane. And Sacramento, man, that track always holds a special place in my heart. Great promoters, great event, great racing. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, you want to get into this week's interview? Man, I'm super excited about this <laughs> one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Carter, we talked about the new Super Twins class that's proposed for next year, the 2020 season. Yeah, we did. And it got a lot it got a lot of controversy <laughs> on the internet. You know, those keyboard warriors were going crazy. The topic, not and so much our podcast, you're saying. Our podcast was just a... Yeah. <laughs> no, the podcast was just kind of talking about it a little bit. But yeah, but when the topic came out, it got everybody's feathers all ruffled. And so we've been thinking about this for a little while, and we're going to have the man who brought it to our attention on the podcast today. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, they started the they started the conversation at the beginning of the season, but, you know, it's really ramped up once they published those FAQs. Um, we had the conversation in hopes that, you know, that we could talk through it, maybe incorporate some of our guests and ask questions about it and have conversations. Um, but, you know, talking to the man himself, Michael Locke, and, and asking him some of these questions and hearing his take, uh, I think it's something that, would be great for fans, great for riders, great for team owners, everybody in the paddock. And one thing I will say about AFT, um, every time we've reached out to have a conversation like this, super responsive, um, always making themselves available. I mean, we're in the middle of what, three races in a week's time. And the CEO of the company is taking the time to have a conversation with us on a podcast, answering some of these questions. It's, it's just super cool. So this whole deal came together really quick. Within about 24 hours, we didn't have a lot of time to get all the questions prepared. I know a lot of people, a lot of teams, a lot of fans have questions, but this may be just the start of the communication back and forth with Michael Locke about this new Super Twins class. Yeah, I mean, they put this information out there for everybody to kind of dissect and have conversations around. Um, and I think this is just another step, another stage in that, in that process. Right. And it's cool that you and I, with this podcast that we made 
have developed a platform uh, where we can have this conversation with the CEO of the series. Let's give him a call. He's flying out to Sacramento today. I think he just landed about an hour ago. So hopefully we can uh, we can catch him before he goes to dinner. Call him up. Dialing the Michael Locke. Hello. Mr. Locke, how are you doing? Gotti, I'm very well. How are you doing? I am fabulous. I uh, got a little bit of rest after these busy uh, last few days up in South Dakota and I'm about ready to go for some more this weekend at Sacramento. So it's been uh, been pretty crazy this uh, last little bit. We had a little bit of a break. And before we get into what we want to talk about, let's back up and talk about the Buffalo Chip and the Black Hill Speedway. Two awesome events this past weekend. Yeah, you know, we, I mean, I have to say we, we came into August with a little bit of trepidation. Um, uh, three races in three different venues across six days um, is, is a tough act to pull off both for uh, the series management and also for the for the paddock. Um, but here we are two-thirds of the way through, and um, I've just arrived in California uh, this afternoon and still reeling from, I mean, two epic races we had uh, in, in Sturgis. Or what are your takeaways from the Buffalo chip? I mean, it seems like every year we go there, something different happens and kind of puts us behind the eight ball. The track, you know, Mother Nature put some water on it for us. We did get the event in. We kind of had to rush through a few things. But what's your overall takeaway from the Buffalo chip? Uh, well, you know, the crystal ball. Um, the crystal ball is always, um, you know, spectacularly unreliable. Um, and we were sitting there um, at the chip. Um, looking at the radar and wondering, are we going to get hit? Are we not going to get hit? Um, we were running a little behind from preparation in the morning. We knew we had to put water and calcium down, but when do you do it? Well, of course, you know, Murphy's Law came in. We put the uh, water and the, uh, the calcium down, and then 45 minutes later, it started raining. Um, so there you go. Um, so we ended up starting late because we had to let everything soak. Uh, and uh, uh, down into the soil um, before we could even touch it. Um, but I think everybody who was there or watched it on Fans' Choice would agree, uh, once the racing got going, it was amazing. And the, the Buffalo Chip is an outlier. It's funny, there, there are people in the paddock I speak to who say, why the hell do we go there? Because it's not like typical AFT championship racing. It is an outlier. It's a different technical challenge. Um, you've got a, a large crowd. I don't know how many there were this year, but it was more than last year, which was more than the year before. That crowd is a very close atmosphere, and I think that affects the competitors as well, uh, some in a positive way. But in answer to anyone in the paddock who's grumbling, why do we go there? It's a bit of a circus. Um, the answer is it's a bit of a circus, and it's right. taking our sport to a wider audience. I mean, you and I, Scotty, we wander around, and we look at those faces who are turning up, and they are not the week-in, week-out uh, AFT fans. Uh, these are people who are in the chip to ride in the Black Hills country and to watch rock concerts. And the curiosity for our wonderful sport is starting to take root. So that's why we go there. And plenty of VIPs that showed up just to watch the race. I don't think those VIPs came just to be at the Buffalo chip. They showed up just to watch American Flat Track. Yeah, that was a big change this year. A big mm. change this year. Um, people from the music world, uh, people from motorcycle racing world, uh, people from the movies and TV. You're absolutely right. Those people turned up to come and look at this phenomenon that is AFT uh, at a TT course uh, built at the Buffalo Chip in front of a rock stage. 
Um, and, and like I say, it's starting to take root. These things take a little time, but part of the growth that we're enjoying in the sport as a whole can be traced to these projects we're doing, like the Buffalo Chip, um, where we're stretching the sport, asking some questions of it, and taking this, you know, this this wonderful spectacle that you and I and and, and a, lot of, a lot of your podcast listeners know about, but we're taking it to the other 99% of America, um, and that's that's going to be really important for our future. We definitely appreciate your time here on on the podcast. We haven't had you on for a little bit. I mean, I see you at every race, but we definitely appreciate your conversation. We want to talk about the Super Twins, but what's kind of been overshadowed is how good the racing is in all three divisions. I mean, it's kind of been overlooked because everybody is talking about this new Super Twins class for next year. Yeah, I love the fact that people are looking forward to next year already um, because it means that planning is starting now. And we will put on an even better series um, the earlier everybody plans. So that's a good thing. Um, but not if it comes at the expense of everybody enjoying the day job. Um, and this year, as you say, the racing's been spectacular. Um, and the emergence of the production twins class, particularly um, uh, after Black Hills, which, which was really spectacular as well, I think we've got a lot to be thankful for. Absolutely. We are just a little bit past the halfway point in the season, and it's been a great season. We mentioned that a minute ago, but Breyer's given Meese a run for his money in the in the AFT Twins class. Talk about that a little bit. No, oh, I, I love the storylines this year in the, in the Twins class. Um, uh, you know, anyone, who, anyone who's been watching the sport for the last couple of years couldn't deny that Jared Meese has been supreme. Um, he's been the athlete of his generation. 2017 and 2018, he barely put a foot wrong um, and was not particularly troubled in winning the championship. This year, all change. And it's not because Jared has dropped his uh, dropped his level at all. You know that guy. He trains harder than anybody. But the emergence, uh, in particular, of the new Indian factory team of the Bauman brothers has really has really thrown a spanner in the works for him. And, uh, and you know, Jared likes to control all the variables. And uh, as any top athlete does, uh, but he can't do that this year. Both, both the brothers, you know, Briar's taking the headlines, uh, and rightfully so. But let's not forget Bronson, um, who's the rookie on the team and the younger brother. And week in, week out, Bronson's right there as well. So the championship, I think, is nowhere near decided. Um, and uh, and each week, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, talk to Briar. He doesn't know what's going to happen each week. He's hanging on up there at the top of the championship, but it's nowhere near over. That's for sure. That's why we keep going week in and week out. I think it's going to go all the way down to the wire. So about the AFT singles class, I mean, the, that class continues to impress me how close the racing is. The bikes are so competitive. They're neck and neck. And I just want to know what's impressed you the most about the AFT singles class. Oh, it's, it's impossible to put your finger on one thing, I think, because – there is talent and uh, energy all over. But I tell you the thing that made me smile the most so far this season, Chad Coase. Chad Coase wow. at Rapid City on Tuesday. You know, he had Shana right on his shoulder, and we've seen this a million times. Shana texts her on a half mile or a mile. If she is there or thereabouts with three or four laps to go, chances are she's going to take it. Um, she's very strategic. Uh, and fearless. And Chad Coase not only held her off, um, but Chad Coase really won that race. And he won it on a Suzuki that he and his team 
have been burning the midnight oil on uh, on getting prepped and getting competitive this season. And he's had some good races and he's had some disappointments. And yet you would never know the disappointments from uh, from Tuesday night. That was a breathtaking race. I'm very happy for Chad. He's one of the positive guys in the paddock. Always got a smile on his face. Um, a genuine good guy. Teamed up with Suzuki this year, who had not won a race, I think, uh, for, for several seasons. And here we are, a new storyline that no one saw coming. So that, that's been... That, that's been the thing that's been foremost in my mind since um, since being in Sturgis, that we've got a different winner on a different bike, uh, and it's changing it up all over again. Absolutely. His mechanic, Tom Engelhart, has been, you know, like you said, day and night to get that thing going. Ron Hamp, who passed away earlier this year, built the motor, and they've got it all put together. And, and Chad just might be a championship contender if he can put some solid races together. So I would like to sh- you know switch on over to the production twins. You, you mentioned how it's getting better and better. It started off as a Corey Texter series, and then he was finally beat, and now he was beat again here this last weekend by another new winner, that's Brian Varnes. i got to say, we are delighted by the way Production Twins is developing. Um, uh, it was conceived, really, uh, for two things. It was conceived, one, as a, um, as a stepping stone for up-and-coming talent from the, uh, from the singles world uh, to gain experience on the Twins, but without having to duke it out with the, with the big factory guys week in, week out. Um, and it was also conceived equally for guys who were in the twins class, but not on competitive machinery or not with the resources to be able to compete uh, again with the big factory-backed guys, uh, where they could come together. And we saw it as a natural addition um, to the series, but we underestimated how cool it was going to be. And as you say, Corey Texter dominated at the beginning, um, but now the season is developing, and, and you know Corey is probably still favourite for it. But who knows now? And the emergence of a collaboration between Vance and Hines Harley Davidson and Black Hills Harley Davidson, who uh, you know many people know that Terry Reimer, the owner of Black Hills Harley Davidson, is one of the biggest fans of AFT in the paddock, and for him to be able to bring a dealer-fronted team um, to AFT. Uh, and start and start people getting excited and mix it up. I think this is the start of something that could be really big in our sport. I, I totally agree, 100%. I like it's a stepping stone before you move up to the premier class. Uh, you know, it's kind of the class is really taking a personality all of its own. Um, are you happy, Michael, with the way the series is just past the halfway point so far? You know, I think if you're ever happy, then you really ought to retire. Um, so uh, no, not happy. Um, uh, there's still a lot to do. Uh, week in, week out, uh, people will see me at the track punching furiously into my phone. Um, it, it, it's not that I'm on social media; it's that I'm taking notes of all the things we need to do better next week. Um, and and that's the same. That's the same now as it was two or three years ago. There's still so much more uh, we can do and we will do to elevate the series. But if you ask me. If I'm happy with the direction, I would say the direction is um, very exciting. The singles class, which um, three years ago when we conceived it, uh, there were a number of doubters that it would take off, that it would even be interesting. Um, uh, And and to say that it's interesting would be a severe understatement now. Uh, And it is a um, a, a development ground uh, for new talent. Um, uh, Dallas Daniels, for example, who's just come into the series and Seems like he's been doing it all his life, but actually I think he's done about four races. Um, is already now a, a top 10 guy. 
um, and has a bright future. That will be an inspiration to new young kids uh, coming up behind him as well. So I think the single, excellent, and there is factory backing from uh, Red Bull KTM and from Yamaha through Estenson and, and Honda through Richie Morris, and we've just spoken about Chad Coase and Suzuki. This is this is fantastic. This is really what we need at the base of the sport. And the production twins is almost becoming where twins was two or three years ago. And it's allowing the AFT twins class to elevate, to go up to the next level. You know, we talk about the best flat trackers anywhere in the world. Well, we know that's true, but we need to make it a world-class championship, world-class championship. I'm not content uh, with uh, our reach yet. Um, I think we, we've uh, increased the size of the sport and the visibility of it tremendously, but nowhere near enough yet to secure a really bright future. So we've got to keep pushing on that. I agree. Um, I, I like that, that you mentioned worldwide because we've got more riders coming from other countries and, and competing with us. So I like what you said right there. Uh, kind of been tiptoeing around it for a little while, but let's just get into it. Let's talk about the whole Super Twins thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did an episode and we kind of basically talked through the facts the, that came out that caused mm -hmm. a frenzy on social media. Did you get to listen to that episode by any chance? I have not had time yet, but I'm sure I can imagine I know most of what was said. Well, I, you know, I didn't want to speak for AFT because I, you know, that's not my job. My job was to look over what came out and gave my opinion on a few things, but I was just expressing both sides of the coin, you know, what would be good for the writers, what would be good for AFT, and just kind of laid it all out there for people to take in. So I definitely applaud AFT for getting those plans out there early and having an open discussion about it. If I remember right, we talked about it the night before the Daytona TT, so at the season beginning, and then just two weeks ago, you brought it up again, and it's now out in the public for people to start hashing it over and start looking forward to the 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we're in the process at the moment of uh, refining what that class is going to look like and um, discussing backwards and forwards with, um, not only interested parties, but decision makers, you know, team owners, senior riders, manufacturers, um, sponsors. And we put the frequently asked questions out, uh, I think it was a week or maybe two weeks ago, um, just to further articulate where our thinking is going, but also to get feedback. Um, you know, here we are in August. Um, we want to finalize the offer for this, um, for, the, for this class for next year as soon as we can. But we don't want to do it in a, in a bubble. We want to do it with uh, quality feedback from experienced and, uh, and influential people. So, um, so that's an ongoing process, and we hope to wrap that up uh, this month and have a, a, a you know a finalised format and a finalised uh, set of goals for it. Um, uh, but certainly, as you say, it's a very active uh, topic of conversation at the moment. Everybody cares about it, which is which is a good thing. So it was my understanding that there was a, actually a meeting in Rapid City with you and the team owners only. How did that go? Uh, it wasn't all the team owners. It was a, a group of uh, what I think they would call themselves senior team owners, uh, the big teams in AFT Twins who would be directly affected and would be directly involved in the class. Uh, and we had a meeting, God, what day is it now? It's, is it Thursday now? It must have been Monday. It was between the races. We had a meeting where, um, from the series side, we outlined uh, not only the structure as how we see it, but more importantly, the reasoning. 
why are we doing this? Where are we going? What's the goal? How quickly do we have to get there? What happens if we don't do it? Uh, and so on and so forth. So we we outlined our uh, our, our vision uh, and had a and had a very good meeting. I mean, you know, the team owners and the and and the OEM people in our paddock are not only experienced people but not shy. Definitely not shy. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and so so you get the direct feedback from, uh, you know, I'm sure they won't mind me name checking them, but people like Craig Rogers, who's been involved in this sport for three decades and has seen everything and puts his own personal resources into funding and supporting Jared Mees. And Ricky Howerton, who everybody knows, has built these beautiful motorcycles um, and, and partners with Brian Smith um, and, and Terry Vance of, of Vance and Hines. Um, and Steve DiLorenzi, and so on. I could go on and on with these these powerful figures in the paddock who really care about the future of the sport. So we had a, a good meeting, exchanges of views. Um, I think from the team owner's side, there isn't a um, consensus of view. Um, uh, they're individuals. They, they they look at the sport from, from their own perspective. But there were some areas where um, most of them felt similar about particular concerns they had, or input they had uh, in wanting to guide where we're going with the class uh, to make sure it achieves its uh, its goals. So it was a good meeting. I think we, uh, when we got to the end of the meeting, everybody was pretty happy. We all shook hands. Um, from the series side, we promised to bake into the uh, proposals that we're refining uh, these elements of feedback to make sure that the class is inclusive uh, and competitive um, alongside all the goals of scaling it and making it um, more commercially viable um, than it is today. So I, I think we're not um, we're not at the end of the chapter yet. Um, there's going to be a lot more talking over this month, particularly this month um, ahead of us going into our last three races of the year. Um, so there's a lot more to come out, and we will be sharing refined um, detail with those guys and indeed with the broader paddock. I, I spoke to a lot of people at, um, at Black Hills who said, hey, we've heard about this meeting why the hell weren't we invited? And and the factor of the matter is it was a meeting that was called by the senior team owners, um, which we were happy to have. But I want to take the um, lid off this and include the broader paddock um, as soon as we've got uh, proposals that are concrete that they can get their heads around. Well, that's that's awesome to get everybody involved. In, and, and we just want to give you the open invitation. If you have anything to share you can come on here and share that with us and with our listeners too. We would love to have you on whenever there's something new. Uh, Michael, sure. I've known you for, for a little over four years now, and, and I know you're not scared of any tough questions. In fact, I think I think you kind of <laughs> enjoy those, so that's, which makes my job more fun. So over the past couple of weeks since we've had the, the podcast about the fax email and the letter that went out, uh, we've got some questions together. We'd love to get your feedback on those. Are, are you ready for that? Yeah, yeah, happy to. All right. So um, first off, let's back up. Like we talked about, it was released in Daytona. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. But when did all this begin? Did it, would it start last season? And how long has this been, been being put together? The Okay, so the idea of um, fine-tuning uh, and, if you like, repackaging our premier class um, – was actually in the strategy that I presented to um, the board of AMA Pro Racing in 2015 
um, when I was wow. still consulting uh, to the company. Um, I, I didn't have a time frame on it then because there were so many things that we didn't have in place. But the idea of having a, um, a senior class that's very well defined, um, well packaged, and scalable, and, and it's a word I use a lot, scalable. What it means is to, to take the product we've got, which is great racing and great racers and great teams, and take it to a broader and broader audience in order to suck more fans into the sport because where fans go, sponsors follow. Where sponsors go, revenue comes. Revenue for the series, for sure, to help us with our costs, but revenue into the teams, revenue into the riders, revenue to regenerate facilities, revenue to put some money into the uh, pockets of promoters who uh, have, have stuck with this sport through some pretty lean years, and I would like to give them some payback. So, so the idea of a, uh, of a very well-defined premier class goes back to 2015, but we didn't have a time frame on it until we started getting into uh, deep discussions with our broadcast partner, NBC. Uh, as you know, Scotty, we, we've had, a, a, we've had a, a, a broadcast arrangement with NBC. We put, our, we put our show on 18 times a year on NBCSN, and we are now, this year, and have been for about the last two, three months, been negotiating the next contract with NBC. And, you know, they said something very interesting to me at the end of last year. I went to Connecticut for a motorsports summit at NBC with all the big motorsports, two and four wheel. And the president of NBC Universal introduced himself to me and he said, this American flat track, he said, it's a curious thing. And I thought, uh-oh. And he said, you guys have managed, <laughs> yeah, 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 you're always ready for that, right? And he said, you guys have managed in, in two years to be able to attract an audience of 200 to 250,000 people to watch your show. He said, which is which is a rapid uh, rise, he said, but that's not the curious thing. He said, the curious thing is you've done it with a tape-delayed show. He said, no one watches tape-delayed sport. No one watches tape-delayed sport in America. Everybody wants it live, and yet you guys have got up to over 200,000 viewers with tape-delayed sport. He said, it's a marvelous thing. So I was encouraged by that, but at the same time, I have the voice in the back of my head coming from meetings I've had with prospective uh, sponsors of our sport, truck companies, beverage companies, uh, electronics companies, who've watched the rise of AFT, and they love the story we're telling, and they love the athletes, and they love the action. And they all say to me, hey, we'd love to join your sport. Come back to us when you've grown up. And what they mean mm -hmm. by grown up is when we've got between half a million and a million regular viewers of our sport, that's when we are considered to be a professional sport by those potential sponsors. So here I am at 200,000, and I'm getting patted on the back by NBC, but I'm halfway. <laughs> I'm halfway to a level where we can start putting some money back into the sport. So all that said, NBC would love to entertain the idea of some selected live main events of our show. And that sounds like good news. But I see, because it's my job to, I see two immediate challenges. One is the ability of uh, AFT and the paddock to be able to organize ourselves for live races. And you've been around this sport, Scotty, a lot longer than me. And you know that there are inefficiencies in organization and 
track preparation and, and a whole host of other variables that make make running a live show with a limited time window a bit of a challenge. So we've been working on that between us and the paddock. And I have to say, we've made progress, but there's a bit more to go. Um, so we're not ready for live until we can run a bit more of a military operation uh, under a time crunch. But the other challenge we've got, and this is the one that NBC brought to my attention, they said, if we're going to put live on TV, whether it be on NBCSN or even, or even the holy grail of getting on NBC, on the network channel, the occasional live event, they said it needs to look like a pro sports league. It needs to look good. It needs to look as good as Supercross. It needs to look as good as MotoGP because that's what the fan is used to seeing. So we got some space there as well. We got some headroom on doing that. And, uh, and, and I think we've got four, five, maybe six teams in the paddock who already look fantastic. They turn up, their equipment is clean, their tools are in the right place, their lifts are, their crew all in the right livery, their riders look professional, a fit, have got modern equipment. We've got four or five there. Maybe I'm even being a bit harsh by saying it's only four or five, but what we don't have yet is any one of our three classes that looks like that. So this is something that we are pursuing. Okay, so what if a smaller team, like I, I go back to my days of racing and I would show up in a van. Well, those days have kind of evolved into a truck and a trailer, sometimes a bigger, you know, like a box van or a hauler. What if what if a smaller team can't afford to spend $100,000 or whatever a big hauler costs? I mean, how, do, how does that evolve and how do we try to make riders where they make sure that they look presentable like you're talking about? In, in, our, in the FAQs we put out a couple of weeks ago, I think we mentioned something about what the paddock setup should be. And, and I've had some reaction back, and people are focusing on the, the hauler. Um, perhaps we shouldn't have mentioned the hauler, because frankly, it's not about the hauler. Um, okay. uh, it, it's really not about the hauler. And, and, and you know, I, I'm prepared to erase that <laughs> from the FAQs, because I don't want everyone okay. getting diverted about the hauler. It's not about the hauler. <laughs> But you know, but you know, when we have the fan walk, um, which is a really important part of our show, is getting the fans up close and personal with the riders. What we need is we need a standard of that paddock. It needs to look professional. Now, a lot of people will say, "Well, surely professional is what you do between the flags," and and it is. Um, but we've been professionally doing things between flags for 70 years, and and we didn't attract very many new fans in the last 30. So it seems to me that's not the variable on growing the fan base. Growing the fan base is about aspiration and excitement. And aspiration is looking at these athletes and they look a million dollars, as they do in so many other motorsports, two and four wheel, and thinking, wow, it's such a privilege to come and see them, and that they're almost um, otherworldly. Um, and I think that matters. And it doesn't matter so much to the purists because the purists are just there to race. But we have to run a business as well. And we have not run a business for 30 years. It's my job. Part of my job is to generate this somewhat into a business. Otherwise, um, we're looking at a pretty bleak future. And that's despite the fact that we've increased our fan base tenfold in the last four years. It's not enough. I wish it were, but it's not enough uh, for us to sustainably uh, uh, keep this sport going forward. So 
what what we're trying to communicate um, and and we're going to give guidance to teams on this and support we're not just throwing a rule book at them and saying you've got to clean your teeth twice this morning it's about it's about the teams being distinctive and memorable and week in week out that the fans can pick them out i mean there's no, there's no surprise and i'm sure scotty you who attend all these races would uh, would know what I'm talking about when I said when we have the fan walk, is there consistently one team that's set up beautifully that has the longest line of people waiting for an autograph or a selfie? Is there one team every week? I'm oh sure yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That right. line never there's gets any shorter. Team. Yeah, there's one yeah. team that has a line of people outside the paddock waiting to take a selfie or get an autograph or get a tear sheet. Yeah, right. there's one right. because because that team combines glamour and professionalism and results on the track. It's almost a little bit of a template. Now, if we can raise if we can raise everybody to look good and feel proud and feel professional, it will stimulate fans. It won't change the racing, but it will increase our fan base and it will cr- increase the loyalty of fans and the following of fans, which is what I have to sell to potential sponsors. Who are going to help us pay for the sport? Gotcha. So, my next so question is not about the hauler. It's definitely okay. not about the hauler. Gotcha. But it is gotcha. about. But it is about. The, it is about the fan-facing look. So, you know, I have no problem with the pop-up tent, but let's have a clean one that's well right. branded and distinct and different to the pop-up tent next door, so that the right. fans know what they're looking at. These these are the kind of things that we need to uh, we, we need to focus on. And it's not about spending a whole bunch of money. It really isn't okay. about spending a whole bunch of money because I know there isn't a whole bunch of money out there, whether it's at the series level or team level. It's about making $10 look like a million. Um, gotcha. And we want to give help to the teams on that, and we want to encourage them to prioritize it. This is what it's about. You know, the team, the teams will have all the tires they need for the weekend, um, and they will have all the chains they need and all the details in order to go racing, because those things are vitally important. What I'm saying is that if we want to grow a fan base and we want to attract sponsors, some other things are important as well. And it's and this is not us making it up. Go to Supercross. Go to World Superbike. Go to MotoGP and just walk around those paddocks. And what and people are, people are walking around with their kids, and the kids are wide-eyed because mm-hmm. this is a dream. And, and we have some of that in our paddock. We have pockets of it that are really successful. What I'm saying is that in the senior class, and I'm not talking about the whole paddock, I'm talking about the senior class, we need to establish a standard there. Gotcha. I, I really appreciate uh, breaking that down for us. Uh, the next big question that kept coming up is, why only 16 riders in the Super Twins class? Okay, so... Um, I think we've determined that 16 is an optimum size for a main event. Um, it's been 18 for many years. It's 16 now. And, you know, maybe in the future that number changes again. I don't, I don't know. But at the moment, we've, we've, we, we've looked at it and decided 16 is an optimum number for a main event. Now, if I'm asking uh, the uh, competitors and teams in the senior class to sign up for a whole season, uh, to come to every race, so that we can tell their story every week. Um, I have to have them in the main event. Um, and, and again, look at benchmarks in, in, in other sports. Um, if you look at MotoGP or you look at World Superbike, all the main teams are in that race every week. They don't not qualify. 
we have a we have a different history in our sport because we've basically had an amateur sport with a thin veneer of professionals on the top. So uh, a lot of fans bemoan the fact that the size of the field is smaller these days, that we don't have dozens and dozens of amateurs turning up trying to duke it out against the professionals. That's not the way the sport's evolved. Uh, partly the cost of being involved is much higher now. And secondly, unless you are riding top-class machinery, you're not going to get anywhere near the front. The romantic old days of the plucky uh, uh, understudy or the plucky outsider duking it out for the podium, is that doesn't happen in pro sports. That happens in pro-am sports, which is where we've come from. But we have to develop this as a pro sport because um, we have so many demands on us to do things professionally. Like, for example, um, uh, transporting around the country to 18 rounds, one big rig and hauler just full of air fence with 96 pieces of air fence that takes a team of eight to install, um, takes a team of eight to break, break down, costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to maintain it and repair it. And that's before we have to buy any new. Those are things you do in a professional sport, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they have, to be paid, they have to be paid for. The idea that we could just throw a few hay bales out on the miles is just, it's, it's so far in the history now because we have to do it professionally. Our timing and scoring system to ensure that on those photo finishes, we actually know who won and that we can put out data in real time to people's ads. All of these things are professional investments and people expect them and people are grateful for them. But then we have to have a professional sport, at least in the top class. And, and all these proposals we're making for super twins are for one class. There is the production twins class and the singles class that will not be affected certainly in the short term, will not be affected by this. But we're creating an elite class which will be aspirational so that people all the way, all the way from California to Sydney, Australia, can watch our sport and say, oh, my God, this is the best in the world. That is what we're looking to do. So you ask why 16 riders. If I'm asking um, teams to invest in their riders and off-season training and machines that are in tip-top condition, and traveling around the country and putting on a good show for the fans, I'm asking them to invest a lot of time and money. In order to do that, they need to get sponsors. The sponsors will want what's called a return on investment. If they put $200,000 in, they want to get a million dollars worth of marketing value out. In order to do that, they need to be seen. In order to be seen, I need to know they're coming every week so we can invest the time and money from the broadcast side into telling their story. And the story is not just what happens flag to flag. The story is, who are they? Where have they come from? What's their family history? Get people interested in the athletes. It creates a hook. They become stars. All of this takes time and money. So what our, what our vision is, is to be able to have those 16 riders at every round during the season so that we can tell their story. Um, and it's interesting in the in the team meeting we had on Monday, this, this was a big talking point. And there were some counter suggestions from some of the team owners, which was, hey, could you have some wild cards, for example? Yeah, maybe we could. Or could we limit the number of partner teams to maybe 12 or 14 and, and allow open entries for the rest? Maybe. We'll look at all that this month and we'll... Uh, we'll attempt to come to the best compromise so that no one feels excluded who wants to come up to the standard. 
I think that's the important thing. A contract is two-way. If we say that we're going we're gonna to scale you and turn you into stars and make you nationwide and give value of money to your, uh, to your sponsors, which is something only the series can do, in return, we would like you to turn up every week, uh, which is important in a pro series, uh, and to look good and to train and to give it your best. So it's a two-way thing. So does it, does it end up at 16? I don't know. Um, that was our initial idea. Um, but with some input we've had from the team owners and some of the senior riders, we're looking to see if we can tweak that formula um, to be a little bit more inclusive. I, I really, really like that answer, Michael, because you know my next question was going to be, what if these other teams have bought Indians and they're not part of the Elite 16 or they're not invited to be in the Super Twins? You know, where, were, where was their place or where, what were they going to do with their Indians, their investment already? So I really like that answer and, and leaving it, opening it up to discussion to see if maybe some wild cards can get in. So I really like that answer a lot. Yeah. Scotty, we, we are sensitive to that. Um, and I think, it's a, I, I think it's a fair point that's been raised by people. Uh, and, and as I say, my, my job and that of my team is not to be exclusive. It is to be inclusive of the people who love this sport and have invested in it. So we will, we will fine-tune this to find a way uh, to make sure we keep, keep the show on the road in order to deliver the goals that we absolutely have to, but be sensitive to uh, the community and the aspirations of the people in it. Well, Mr. Locke, uh, I really appreciate your time uh, and you're being open with us and the, the the fans. And, you know, I know a lot of writers and owners listen to this podcast as well. So I've got a long list of topics and I could talk to you all day about, but I know you've got things to do. Um, maybe we could have another conversation with you down the road as we get more and more detail about this, because I still have more questions for you. Sure, let's do that. Okay, and I've got one more question. Uh, I asked you some kind of tough questions. Do I still have a job? <laughs> Do you have a job? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I get paid to come to the races and talk about motorcycle racing. Some people just think it's it's not a job, and it's 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 probably the best job I ever could have wished to have as a and as a child growing up. And I get to go to the sport that I love more than anything. So I don't know that it's a job. I, I just think I get uh, paid I, to go I talk about motorcycle I tell racing. You this. I tell you this. Until I get a petition from the senior riders and team owners to get rid of Scotty Jubilee, you've got a job. Thank you very, very much. And again, thank you so much for the time. We'll see you this weekend at the Sacramento Mile. Okay, safe travels, guys. And I will, uh, I will see you at the weekend. And anyone who's listening, you have to come to the Sacramento Mile. Um, uh, at the risk of being controversial, I have to say it's the one I look forward to going to the most. Standing on the right. inside of turn one. Standing on the inside of turn one and just holding your breath. It's, uh, it's something that everybody has to experience once in their life. I love that. I'd like to invite you to the Lodi Short Track on Friday night. I know you probably have meetings and stuff like that, but it's going to be on fanschoice.tv, and that Lodi Short Track's pretty cool, too. Every year I want to go to Lodi on the Friday night, and every year I actually have work, unfortunately. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Scotty, and I'll see you at the weekend. I got to tell you, man, Michael Locke needs his own podcast. That guy doesn't have enough time to do a podcast. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but I mean, he's he had enough time to sit down and have a conversation with us. Maybe we uh, maybe we have a another call with him down the road because I know there's a lot more questions that we didn't even get to. 
Uh, yeah, it's the second time we've had them on, and you know they're always super responsive when we do reach out. So I'm sure it won't be the last time that we talk to Locke. I always love hearing his insight and his perspective, uh, and kind of what the thought process behind some of these decisions and, and you know proposals that they're putting out there. He's clearly listening to the responses. They're clearly taking that feedback and they're evaluating that feedback. I wouldn't be surprised if they make changes based on that feedback. So it's kind of awesome. I think that you know that's out there. Uh, they're they're picking they're letting people pick it apart and listening to that feedback. Just like I said two weeks ago when we when we went over the FAQs, people don't like change, especially the people in our paddock and a lot of our fans are all about the heritage and the history of our sport. I'm pretty sure Michael Locke's very passionate about our sport. He's not doing this to hurt anyone. He's trying to better the sport. I loved all of his answers. I loved how he was available to talk to us and it was man it was so cool what and the the coolest thing i i i I took from the conversation is he understands the shortcomings he understands the challenges um and he's he's not saying that we're going to make rules and leave you guys to figure it out they're they're you know they're going to set guidelines they're going to set new rules they're going to change things sounds like they're going to be there with these people helping them get to that level um so that's what's super um promising for me to hear um, and, you know, I, I think it's going to end up working out in the long run. Time will tell. And I think we're going to have a lot more conversations around this. I guarantee it won't be the last time that we talk. about. Well, we have more questions, like we said. And one more question. I should have asked him when he said I was here for the longevity. I should ask him for a raise. But other than that, <laughs> you know, it's a good start for sure. And I wouldn't press your luck, you know. <laughs> I got an idea. I'll publish your phone number. And anybody who has a question about Super Twins for Michael Locke can text you directly to ask the questions. What do you think? I think I'd have to change my phone number. <laughs> maybe we uh, maybe we put out our uh, off the groove listening line and have people call in. There you go. Go old school. Hey All Carter. Right. What? Carter. What? You gonna play mo- you gonna play motocross this weekend? Yeah man, unit diller. Alright. Well I'll be in California, you'll be in New York, keeping on four wheels. Thanks to all of our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Smash that like button. Tell all your friends about the podcast. I handed out a few more stickers this last weekend, and I actually traded some stickers for a Dr. Pepper. So I know people are listening, and I appreciate it. Wait, did you trade stickers for Dr. Pepper? Was that Gunther's mom? No. Is, dude, doesn't, it doesn't, she, from, doesn't she work for Dr. Pepper? She works for Dr. Pepper. She, she's actually hooked me up with a 12-pack before. I saw on the, on the um, pit walk... She mentioned that she wants to be on the podcast. Is that going to happen? I don't know. She wants to be on there, but Buddy, a Buddy racing with the best mullet in the pits, and Matthew Gunther says, no way. Well, then I say, hell yeah, bring her on. Two reasons. That's what I'm talking about. Because when people say, don't have them on and talk about it, that's the first person I want to talk to. And second, she sounds like she's got the hookup to your Dr. Pepper sponsorship. Well, she works for Dr. Pepper. I don't know how high up or what, you know, she's in the plant i don't know where or what she does for dr pepper's got more pull than i do there you go so let's figure out i think it'd be cool to get a mom's perspective maybe we talk to buddy racing and figure out what they don't want her to say and you know we edit this podcast i can take out whatever they they're concerned about maybe we'll see or i'll just put it in the special in the special features bonus link there's a couple moms though that i think i'd like to talk to that's that sounded we, bad we, <laughs> You better be careful. You got a girlfriend. I do have a girlfriend. She'd be cool with it. Um, uh, and I don't even mean it that way. That was that came out way worse than I mean it. 
I'm saying, I'm saying, I'd love to hear the mom's perspectives. Come on. Uh, I can't even re regroup after that. Get your foot out of your mouth. Let's wrap this up, Scotty. Carter. What? Carter. What? Keep it on four wheels. Everybody else, keep it on two wheels. We'll see you at the Lodi Short Track tonight. The Sacramento Mile tomorrow night. We'll talk to you next Friday. Don't forget to smash that like button. Peace. Are we done?